Welcome to Are We Where Yet with Johnny Awesome and Tori Black. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Johnny, host of the Are We Where Yet podcast. And uh, this is a special bonus episode I recorded while I was away in San Diego on a little vacation. Uh, we're going to be releasing this bonus episode and then taking a break and then coming back with five new episodes starting in January to complete the season two out. So uh, this is just a little breakup. It's the holiday time, so we want everybody to be able to spend time with their families as it should be. So we're going to take this little break and come back in the new year. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for all the ratings. Thank you for the reviews. Those things really help us out. So thank you for it. Also, thank you guys for sharing this podcast. The podcast has been growing. More and more people have been hearing about it. So I uh, just want to say thank you. I hope you have a great holiday time with your family. And thank you and God bless. Enjoy. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you and welcome out to another episode of the Are We Where Yet podcast. I'm your host, Johnny. And uh, this is a special episode. Don't know where it's going to fit in the rotation yet, but it, uh, we'll just call it a bonus episode now. But first, I'd like to thank our partners. North End Coffee House, downtown Yuma, Arizona. Mention us. 10% off of your order, drink. They got, uh, uh, K- how do you spell that thing? Or how do you say the thing with the A-C-I-A or A-C? Akai? Acai? Acai, yeah. Acai. They got one of those things. It's pretty good. So get 10% off of that. And then also Studio Y Yoga. It's in downtown Yuma, Arizona, and it's about 25% off of that, or 20 I forget exactly, but uh, you mention us, and you get some great deals in Yuma. But anyway, I'm here with Leia, Hello. right? Hello, yes, Leia. Okay, cool, because I was, we were talking off air about the uh, pronunciation and how it's spelled, but it's Hebrew. It's based it off of Hebrew. the Leia from the Bible, not Star Wars. No, but that's the best way to get people to know how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, that, that's, that's cool. Um, my son, his middle name is Skywalker from that Star Wars. That is so awesome. You know, it's, uh, and also I uh, have a song called Skywalker. Uh-huh. I was when I did my rap thing. So that's how I got my wife to convince or convince to name the son middle name. It's like that's after the song. It has nothing to do with Star Wars. And so oh, it absolutely she, has she, everything to do with Star Wars. Yeah, and she bought it. So. That's right. The force is strong with him, I'm sure. Oh, it, it is. He, he's, he's a wild kid, so we're, that's, that's great. So anyway, um, we're here, and uh, we're going to dive into uh, uh, something I'm very unfamiliar with, and talking a little bit off air with you, find it very interesting, and I'm glad that this whole thing worked out, and it's hypnotherapy. Yes, it is clinical hypnotherapy. Clinical Clinical heart-centered hypnotherapy, which I know is a mouthful. Okay. So um, explain to me what is clinical, what makes it clinical? So clinical means that it's used for therapeutic purposes as opposed to regular hypnosis, which may be used for entertainment purposes or other types of like smoking cessation or weight loss techniques, which may or may not be therapeutic in nature. Mm -hmm. Clinical hypnotherapy is definitely... Uh, designed to address any type of issues that you might see a psychologist or a psychotherapist for. So you're you're, you're basically dealing with those same issues, but on a different uh, wavelength? Correct. So it's a whole different modality to address the same types of issues that you would see a psychologist or a a psychiatrist for, essentially. Could you um, 
Is it covered by most people's insurance? Right now, it doesn't seem to be covered by most people's insurance. I'm hoping that as we start to embrace more of alternative modalities like acupuncture and chiropractic medicine, that hypnotherapy will actually be another one that on, would the, be on able, the rise. It'll, it'll be able to come in through the door with acupuncture and those things. I certainly hope so. There's actually been done some studies about how it affects people with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD and its uh, benefits to those types of people in that population. So potentially it could be covered in the future by traditional insurance practices. And um, um, so do you have your own practice yet? I don't. This is a very new kind of uh, transition for me. So I've actually been a hypnotherapy patient for some years. Oh, so yes. you, were, you started off as a patient. I did. Um, and that was because I had some suppressed traumas come up to me. And um, it was right after I'd had an introductory hypnosis session. So I felt like they were related. And I ended up getting connected with a woman in Carlsbad. And, and she helped me work through a lot of different issues using this, this technique, this heart-centered hypnotherapy, which is interesting because it really incorporates the spiritual component, which may not mm -hmm. be a part of traditional psychotherapy. So you, you mentioned Carlsbad. I just want to let everybody know we're actually... So the... the Ambiance might be a little different. We're uh, recording live in uh, San Diego right now. Yeah. This is the first podcast I've done uh, on the road, so this is this is pretty cool. And we met because I deliver Chinese food. To Yuma. Yeah, you, you were in Yuma, <laughs> and I delivered Chinese food to you at, uh, I think, the Days Inn Hotel or something. I you, believe so, yeah. Yeah, you were at, a, at one of the hotels there, or, or I forget which one, but I had uh, delivered food to you, and we just got to talking, mm -hmm. one of those spiritual crazy yes. universe linking up type of thing. Synchronicity. Things. Synchronicity. There you go. 100%. That, that's a Carl Jung word, right? Yeah. Yeah. So some synchronicity. And uh, I said, hey, I'm going to be in San Diego. Are you up for an interview? And you said, yeah. 100%. Yes. So, awesome. So yeah. So that's what we're doing here. And uh, normally we have a video with our podcast. So this one, we won't have a video. Apologize for that. But this is a too good of an opportunity to pass by. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, okay, so you were a patient. I was. That was my first exposure to this type of therapy. And so um, how it works is essentially it connects your current stage in life and whatever is going on, and then the therapist follows you where your subconscious mind wants to go, and you, um, you go back to a memory that is actually the root of the issue, and you heal from that place. So if I can give an example, if I went into a session um, and she asked me what, what was going on in my life, and I just said, um, I'm, I feel angry. So then she would have me tune into my body and find out where in my body I feel the anger. So this is very, like, body-driven type of therapy. So I would um, get into a trance state, which uh, you get into in, med in this type of therapy, and then I would scan my body and find out where I was feeling this sensation. And let's say it was in my chest. So then I would um, pay attention to the feeling in my chest, and she would ask me to explain, like, how it feels in my chest. So I would say, okay, it feels tight and constricted. So then what she would do is she would actually um, come over to me and ask me to go back to the, f to the most recent time that I had that same or similar feeling. Mm -hmm. And it would take me back to the memory of where I had a similar or same feeling which typically takes you back to childhood or someplace when you're younger. So this is kind of uh, connecting some dots. Yes. 
that is that your subconscious mind is aware of, but your conscious mind is not aware of. So they, they kind of tug at a thread and they follow that Correct. thread down this path, and this path is leading somewhere. The, the path is leading to essentially where the subconscious mind needs to be healed. And it's out of your conscious awareness. That's why it's important to go into that trance state, that hip, hypnotic state first. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in a conscious state, you have a lot of protectors in your conscious mind that actually um, prevent you from being aware of a lot of these things that are painful or tra- traumatic in your subconscious realm. So, um, so yes, yeah, you would unravel the thread and then you would go back to a memory. And then once you're in the memory, you... Um, you are able to actually kind of be there again. And you get to feel what was going on in that place, in that memory. And let's say it was an interaction that you had with a parent Mm -hmm. where you, at that point, um, you felt that same anger and you drew a conclusion at that point. So um, I have to be alone. Let's say that was the conclusion that you drew. And so then the therapist would ask, okay, so if you have to be alone, how does that mean you have to live your life? And so then as a child, you made a decision about how to live your life based on I have to be alone. I decided that uh, I guess I can't be around other people, right? So then the therapist would help give you the opportunity to speak to that inner child that believes that, and then your wise adult would be able to be there to basically offer a new conclusion. So as a child, you made this one conclusion, I have to be alone, but as an adult, would you like to make a new conclusion? And so you can say, okay, I don't have to always be alone. And, um, Which is, would be a good conclusion to make right. because being alone could be very unhealthy at times. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if you had this driving subconscious behavior in your life and you were completely unaware of it, think about how that impacts everything that you do. So through this form of therapy, you're able to go back by following the subconscious mind and heal that so then you can live more whole and more fully moving forward. Okay, and um, we were talking again off air a little bit about some of those things were meant to protect you. Yes. So as a kid, there'd be something like you uh, made your mind up about that was there for a protection mechanism? Yes. So our subconscious mind has things that we will create to protect us. And this is, if you're familiar with um, defense mechanisms and basic psychology, it's the same kind of thing. So give us an example of a defense mechanism. A, a defense mechanism could be avoidance. Um, it could be um, the use of a substance to avoid having to deal with a stress. So it's a form of coping that helps uh, make your subconscious mind feel safe, but actually can sometimes become a maladaptive behavior is what we call it. So something that's bad for you, essentially. Mm-hmm. So um, so like uh, maybe rejecting yourself first before somebody else can reject you? Absolutely. That would be a defense mechanism. That's a defense mechanism. Right. And then uh, maybe even being alone is a defense mechanism because you don't want other people's opinion about you or whatever because you can't hold that in a proper light. Yes. In a proper context. Yes. So then, um, so those defense mechanisms and these things that we develop at, you're talking at early age. Your fundamental formative years are about up to the age of seven. So from conception to age seven, you, you are completely um, exposed to the world and you're creating all these things and it makes you a lot more vulnerable to have a lot of trauma that you may or may not be aware of. So it sounds like you're very malleable. You are. You know, and it, it, in one sense, it's almost like, I would think that it, it sounds unfair 
Mm-hmm. You know, because what if you're seven and you're molested at five? Exactly. At four. Mm-hmm. And then now you have to deal with all these issues that you had no control over. You were just part of this environment. And now um, here you are. Yeah. And you've had to adapt and you had to grow with those defense mechanisms and function as an adult to kind of hide that wound or whatever that was. And now you have to face them as an adult. That kind of sounds unfair. Like, help me unpack that or break that down. What's So exactly like you said, that when you're a young child, you're, it's unfair as a young child because you should be protected. And typically, a parental figure is supposed to take on that role. But we know that not everyone has the best you know, paternal or maternal figures that can protect us. So these defense mechanisms arise to protect us. That's their main job is our survival. And they help us to survive. So we should have gratitude for them because they get us to a point where we can continue in life. We can grow up. We can get older. But then when we are older, then they typically tend to be no longer good for us. In fact, they typically tend to be something that hurts us. So that's why it's good to be able to address them as we're older when we no longer need their protection and be able to release them with gratitude and thank them for what they gave us. They gave us life, but they're no longer serving us. Yeah, and we were talking again, like I think one of mine was, and and I just started to kind of deal with this, was uh, my humor. making people laugh because I would uh, I grew up in a rough neighborhood where I would have to make these bigger these vatos these I grew up around gangsters and and, and it was pretty you know um, intense at the time I was the only white kid on the block and um, I'd have to pass by these guys that were out drinking 40s doing their thing and uh, I would make them laugh so they wouldn't have to you know jump me into the gang or whatever and it it became a defense mechanism Mm -hmm. to keep me away from pain but then as I got older People would, uh, I noticed a lot of people in authority and people like, why is everything a joke to you? You know, and I'm like, why'd you say that? Like, every, yeah, it's life supposed to be fun. And then constantly I was faced again with, why is it a joke? Why do you make a joke out of everything? Can't you be serious? And then uh, hearing that enough, it's like, well, why can't I be serious? Yeah. Maybe I should look into this. And actually, um, I worked with my mentor and I didn't even know we were doing this, but um, I just worked with my mentor and I wrote a paper to him like, explaining why I developed this, uh, this humor. It, it, because of that, I was terrified of being beat up. Yeah. And so I, was, I developed it because of that. And so um, I was do, able to do a little bit of regression on myself. Okay. So is that part of what you do? Um, so as the therapist, I am like a guide. So I follow the patient or the client wherever their subconscious mind goes. And I guess that would be, uh, this would be a good time to bring up maybe one of the misconceptions about hypnotherapy. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So the subconscious mind will not go where it is not ready to go. So there's a level of uh, consent. Yes. You have to have the consent before you can take me anywhere as your patient. Correct. So if you were my patient and I tried to um, guide you somewhere that your subconscious mind wasn't ready to go for whatever reason, we wouldn't go there. So the subconscious mind to be hypnotized has to be a willing participant in the journey. And so actually, it's not me leading the therapy. And that's what's so beautiful about this. It's so non-invasive. It's the, the patient or the client is the one leading the therapy. And I am just the guide on the, on the journey. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. I don't, 
break that down a little so bit for me. As as let's say you are my patient and I put you into a hypnotic trance and then you tell me how you're feeling. So then we follow you to where your subconscious mind takes us. Take me to the take me to the first time you, that you felt this way or the similar way. Your mm-hmm. subconscious mind leads me. Now once we're there, I act as the guide because I will say, let's say you go back to when you're five. And so I speak to that inner five-year-old and I say, tell me what you're feeling. You know, tell me what's going on around you. And I just help guide you to pay attention and then to reconnect you to your body. Okay, well, where are you feeling that fear in your body? Tell me, what does that feel like? You know, and then I ask you, well, what do you want to do with that fear? Like, do you want to get it out? Do you, mm. do you need to keep it safe? Like, so that's it, the guide. That's yes. okay. So then, but you get to say if I go in or not. Like the, not you, but as the as patient, the patient, the patient gets to go in and say, "Well, no, I'm not comfortable going there." And then, have you ever had a like? So you have done sessions, correct? Yes. So have you had us like stop a session because they weren't ready to go into that door? No, and because because if someone's not ready to go into that door, you will know. Um, it'll either come through as they don't see or feel anything, and then we'll just we'll say, "Okay, well, you know, how are you feeling? Tune back into your body because." Your memories and the trauma is stored within our body. Yeah, that's something you told me that um, we were talking about the difference between a psychologist and then what you would do because a psychologist stays in the head. Yes. You know, I, I was talking to, here in San Diego, my cousin's a psychologist and she um, is very head. It's like, no, everything. I said, do you believe in spirits? Do you believe in anything spiritual? And she's like, nope, it has nothing to do with that. There's medication and mm-hmm. it's head and that's it. But you would say, no, because it's in your body. So your head is part of your body, but Mm -hmm. where the memories reside, especially anything traumatic that we're trying to typically address in this type of therapy, is going to be stored in your body. So that's the thought process here is that that the memories of trauma and the memories of anything that's, that's harming us is stored within our body. So if we can learn to breathe and tune into our bodies, that our bodies know before our mind does because our mind has to be analytical. It has the ego that runs it, whereas our bodies, it, it has no ulterior motive. It is always truthful, and it always knows before our mind does. Mm-hmm. So that's the skill in, t- in like learning this type of modality is if we learn to trust our bodies and what it's telling us, then it always has a message for us. Um, my uh, meditation teacher tells me, she told me a thing that your feelings never lie. They never lie. Your feelings never lie. And, uh, um, and I want to get into this a little bit, but uh, I was raised or had a big part of my life in a Pentecostal church where it was telling me, like, no, feelings are bad. That you don't trust them. You only trust this book, and that's it. I had the exact same experience. It's like, no, you, what your body is telling you, what your feelings are telling me is the lie. Yeah. Now, this is the truth, and that's it, and you have to follow this. And, uh, you know, I'm almost thankful for going through that experience. It's mm-hmm. almost like um, the fact that I know what it's not. Now I know better what it is, yeah. if that makes sense to you. It does, because I had to learn that whole thing. I came from a very so, like conservative background. So let's get into that, because I want to know where you're from, and so how okay. you kind of develop into this. So go ahead. Well, um, I grew up in, a, in the Bible Belt of the South, and um, joined the, the Marine Corps, and that took me all over the world for a few years. And then I switched over into the Air Force, and that took me into uh, working on inpatient psych wards. Okay, so let's go back to the, the um, Bible Belt. So yeah. 
how a raised since a baby? Um, yes. Yeah, so I actually was uh, I was born in Arkansas and then raised on the Texas and Arkansas state line in a place called Texarkana. Oh, you've heard, I've heard of it. Yeah. So that's where I grew up and um, ended up going to Southern Baptist churches um, early on and and then got involved in a little bit of like Pentecostal stuff as I was trying to find my path when I was a teenager. So yes, that whole uh, belief system of don't trust yourself, don't trust feelings, feelings can't be trusted. Yeah, and there's a scripture they love to use. It's a heart is deceitful above, above all, all else. Yeah. yeah. So there's like this scripture that they kind of throw at you, and mm-hmm. uh, it's like, well, I don't know if that means what you think it means anymore. Like I had to come to that realization on my own. Like, no, because why would God give us this? Right. So is that something you had to break down yourself? It is. Um, so, and then also, like I said, I went into the Marine Corps, and the Marines teach you to have what is called bearing, so the expression of no emotion, like showing absolutely no emotional expression or feeling no emotion. So after being in the Marine Corps for four years and having that ingrained in me, I had actually detached from myself of being able to even know what I was feeling. And this is something they, they teach you? Yes, is it because you have to potentially kill somebody? Um, I think it's or to, to make decisions it's better. Dis- it's discipline. It's it's presentation. It's to be able to present yourself without um, seeming as if you can be roused. I guess mm-hmm. if you will. So it's like um, if you always have this kind of flat and stoic affect, then it seems as if you're unfazed. You're emotionally unfazed. You're tough, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that whole pretense of always appearing tough and like everything is under control. So mm-hmm. this this non-receptivity um, to any type of emotional vacillation at all. So I could see that. I could definitely see the benefit in that. I could, I could see where that's you're at. You're always it, solid. You're steady, in, right? In, in a proper context yeah. because... Um, in a proper context, that's what meditation has helped me do, mm. is stay that solid, but in touch with my feelings, right. but still solid, but still in touch with my feelings. Right. So, so it's I, not a detachment from your feelings, and no. that's what the Marine Corps taught. It's a tuning in and learning how to like, basically not let them be in charge of you. Gotcha. So they were trying to get the fruit of this thing without mm-hmm. having the, the proper context and relating it back to what it was supposed to be related to. Yeah. So then you had that process. You got rid of your feelings. You mm-hmm. you were stoic. And then what happened? I mean, so you, you become essentially numb. Like you, you though. I want to know what happened with you. Um, so I actually was deployed to Iraq during the war and the first push and dealt with combat there and experienced some traumatic events there. Um, which is why I wanted to get out of the Marine Corps, and I went into the, the Air Force. And in the Air Force, I went into a whole different career field and ended up helping people through mental health. I was a mental health technician and worked on the inpatient psych ward and helped people with all these different types of mental health disorders like psychosis and schizophrenia, major depressive disorder, suicidality. So why did you get into that field? I was pursuing it in college. I was taking psychology, and it was of interest to me. So when I was switching out of the Marine Corps and they had the list of jobs that were available to me, that was the one that seemed the closest to what I was already pursuing. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, it seems like a natural fit. So there was a natural fit to this calling that you already kind of felt led to. And so and this was able to give you some expression of that calling. Right. I had absolutely no idea, of course, I would be here today. But yeah. back then, there was a piece of me that was interested in That was this. a part of that. was the tip of the thread that yeah. you had to follow. 
along this thing that's leading you to where you're at now. Correct. So um, in the military, you've uh, witnessed some traumatic events. Now you're helping people who witness traumatic events deal with their uh, mess. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I would I would I used to say that I went from being a trained killer to a trained healer. Wow. And I feel like that was uh, intentional on the path because um, you can't really know the process of healing until you've you've seen pain, right? Until you've like really experienced pain for yourself, you can you can't really empathize with someone who's going through it. And you're able to own that pain. You're able to like I know what this is, yeah. so I know what they're going through. So let me treat it in this. Uh, more humane way maybe or empathetic or I would say definitely empathic and it's like not you're not coming from a place of knowledge but no experience you're coming from a place of knowledge and experience which I think is much more trustworthy to the person who needs your help okay so what'd you have to deal with in the military what kind of patients um so on the inpatient psych ward we were it was completely locked and it would be like uh, what you would see in a movie with everyone in pajamas and we would have all different types of disorders, everything from schizophrenia to uh, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, people who are cutters, uh, people who had tried to commit suicide, major depressive disorder, like the whole spectrum. So these are people that, um, is this boot camp or is this? So it was in San Antonio, Texas. So sometimes we would have people that were in boot camp and they would have a psychotic break mm-hmm. or we would also deal with the dependents, the military dependents. Um, we would deal with active duty military personnel or their family members. So everyone that was on the base could potentially come to us if they had a psychi- psychiatric issue that they needed addressed. Okay. Um, and, uh, you said people attempting suicide. Like, yeah. what, what, why? They can't deal with the stress of these things? Yeah, or? so especially those who were in basic training, a lot of times they would come to basic training and the stress would become overwhelming for them and they would have a psychotic break and would start to have hallucinations or would just basically mentally break down. And they would come up to our ward and it was our job as technicians to help stabilize them and give them treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always struggled with hallucinations because, again, like... Um, I've never I struggled understanding them, I should say, um, because I've never had them in that, mm-hmm. that way. But I was talking to my buddy about a week ago, and um, he's been through a lot, and he's trying to get back into the work field, and he's working, and then you have these episodes where yeah. he feels that his, um, his kids and his ex-wife are yelling at him, and he's just working. He's out there doing this work, but he gets this overwhelming feeling that they're right next to him and they're yelling at him like you're a failure. You're not a good dad. What'd you do? You left us and stuff like that. And he said he would just break down and cry. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, I know this guy and I know he wouldn't lie to me, you know. And actually, he said that uh, some of the people he worked with reported him to the boss like, hey, you got to you got to watch this guy. He's going through it. So have you seen stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, we had patients who would tell us that they were getting messages through, through the TV that, that then would be transmitted into the fillings in their teeth that were telling them about what um, the president needed to hear. I mean, uh, stuff that you like you read in books and you see in movies. So that just, again, that thing just happened to um, a kid I grew up with. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, he, um, he went, it, was, it made the newspaper in Yuma. Um, because he went on a, a spree of breaking windows for two nights. He broke windows up 4th Avenue and I think Arizona Avenue, two streets. And um, when he got caught, he said he was playing a video game that he saw on Ellen, and Ellen told him to go break yeah. these windows, and he had to get so many points. 
And so he was trying to rack up the points. So that's that's a symptom of schizophrenia, either visual or auditory or both types of hallucinations. Um, and they can't distinguish between their internal reality and our reality. So is that, uh, would you again, would you call that a coping mechanism then? That was a way to cope? What 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 creates that, if you know? So, so a disorder could be caused by a coping mechanism, but typically something like schizophrenia is, uh, there is a biological component they believe now that it can be genetic and hereditary, but it's, it's a part of your brain that it just processes information differently than how a quote-unquote normal brain would process information. So it's actually hypersensitive to stimuli, and they may be picking up on things that, a, a like I said, quote-unquote normal brain might filter out. Okay. Because um, one thing I, I do believe, um, I love Tesla, Nikolai Tesla, so I think there's energies, there are frequencies, there are things that come in and mm-hmm. out of our brains. Like who knows where a thought comes from? Right. right. Where do we keep our thoughts? Where do we keep them? Exactly. Like you, you, nobody has ever cut into a brain and found where thoughts are stored or anything. Like I've come or up, memories. Or memories, exactly, mm-hmm. you know. So maybe these schizophrenia, schizophrenic people are getting these things and they don't, they can't distinguish which one is real and which one's not, yeah. where our brain is functioning right to where about like, no, no, no. Yeah, of. I mean, what if they're just, they're extra gifted and extra sensitive to these different um, energies, however you want to see them. And, and I believe that's true, too, yeah. that people are just naturally um, gifted, and then they were able to have these things and these thoughts, because I've met people that have explained stuff like that, like, I don't know, I just get these feelings, and I do these things in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. There's a healthy like way. Like intuition. Intuition, there you go. Yeah. That, that, that and, and they follow these things down, and they're able to accomplish things that other people that try to work twice as hard aren't able to accomplish. I've seen that as well. So that'd be like on the healthy side. It's definitely being healthy for them in mm-hmm. that in that regard, right? Yeah. Okay. So okay. So you're in the military. You're you're um, doing the mental health. Mm-hmm. So what happens after that? So I get out and I go to school. Um, I use the GI Bill to get my undergraduate edu- education in human development, which is basically understanding the human process of development from conception all the way to death and the different things that are associated like our our concepts of identity and the so it was like a blend of your biology your psychology and sociology all together and so i got that as my undergrad and then i continued on and i got my masters in industrial and organizational psychology <laughs> which most people have no clue what it is yeah i don't i don't know what that would it break that down so industrial and organizational psychology is the study of of human uh, behavior within corporations or um, the business world, if you will. So it's like taking a business degree and merging it with like a psychology degree to to help businesses learn how to treat their people, how to motivate their people, how to retain their people in a way that is like is financially beneficial, but it's also good for the human component of the organization. Okay, so that sounds a little bit more um, on the practical side. Mm-hmm. So you learn that to have a job. Yes, yeah, so that's currently what I, I do in that field. Is I'm I'm more of like an organizational business process and change management leader. Oh, okay. So you you go into a business and you're able to help them function better, uh, create some processes. Yes. Okay. And try and advise them on what they can do to make their organizational culture 
um, more conducive for people to be happy with their jobs for them because studies have shown that if, if we're happy, we're actually more productive. And a lot of businesses are starting to realize that, and so they're investing more money into having a workforce that feels like it's seen and heard and cared for and taken care of well. So if that employee feels like they belong to something and helping it grow, they extra motivated when they wake up in the morning to get there and do the tasks. I mean, 100%. Think about you. How well do you work when you're demotivated or you hate what you're doing? Oh, yeah. You you actually, I've noticed my subconscious will actually fight against it. Yeah. Like it'll create ways to get me out of there. Yep. To where like, you know, one minute I'm, I'm yelling at the boss. And I'm like, what am I doing? But it's my subconscious saying, like, you need to get out of here. Or like a self-sabotaging behavior. Exactly. Mm -hmm. In one of my last positions, there was a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors. And I went to one of my mentors, and I didn't know what it was. But he kind of broke that down. He said, look, you're going to start doing this, this, and this if you don't get out of this bad situation at your job. Right. Because there was something in your subconscious mind that was trying to protect you from what it perceived as a threat. So it was self-sabotaging. It's so crazy because then I'm like, why am I doing this right now? It would like kind of take control. And then here I am like mouthing off to this guy and and doing these things that are kind of out of my character. But it got to the point where finally he fired me. But I should have manned up and left before that. Like I'll admit that part. Mm -hmm. But um, these things kind of just take control. So that's the protective. I was going to say, so it's like you had a protector, right? You had this subconscious... Um, attempt to protect you from what it perceived as a threat. And here's the interesting thing about these protectors and the subconscious type of work is is they're typically very immature in nature and they act like a child. So um, we explain that pretty much all of our, our trauma, it's a wounded inner child. Mm-hmm. So these protectors typically take on that type of like childlike or immature behavior. Wow. So that's why in, in this heart-centered hypnotherapy, we have an anchor that's called your, your wise adult. Okay. And so you get to, at the beginning of the session, you get to connect with that wise adult that guides you in, into the right decisions that are for your highest good, and you take it along with you on this journey. And so when you go and you, you interact with this wounded inner child, you also have your wise adult that is another component of, of your, your inner person, and it's able to assist this wounded child in the right direction. Wow, that's, that sounds great. I've never even heard of that one. But uh, I, I want to say real quick that uh, so the form, former boss, uh-huh. um, I, I, I'm cool with him now. Everything's good. And uh, he was right about a lot of things, but yeah. it, was pro, his, it was his approach that continued like I fought against it, even though he was right. So I just want to mention on the air, if you're listening, if anybody, <laughs> that he was right about a lot of these things that I was not uh, doing. And I learned that later. But it was just like a very toxic environment for me at the time. Sounds like you were being triggered. Yeah. Oh, tremendously. You yeah. know. And it was a good position. It was like mm. I had a truck. I was making good money, cell phone. I was provided for. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I had to walk out to nothing. Yeah. I mean, I had it's a zero. And then it's like, okay, I'm back to zero again, which I was just back to zero like two years before that. And um, but I'm glad I did it. So and I'm grateful for the experience again. So I hold no aggression towards him. And so is that part of the um, gratitude? that you were talking about, you let things go with gratitude, said that I'm able to, like, I'm grateful for him now. For? Well, you were saying you release the thing in your body with gratitude. The protector. The protector. Yeah. 
Okay, so but, but I'm just but keen on gratitude. Yeah, you can be grateful for that experience as well. And um, when you were saying that, it made me think about maybe there is some component in your subconscious mind that didn't believe that you deserve that, that that didn't believe that you were ready to have happiness or goodness or whatever it was that that position was providing for you. Mm. So it pushed against it. Because if we have these mechanisms in our subconscious mind, they win. That's crazy. And here's an interesting fact. So you probably have heard this before, but the percentage of our conscious mind that drives behavior is only about 5%. So I'm, I'm consciously talking to you right now. You're consciously talking to me right now. But that's only five percent. That's only five percent. So the rest of our behavior is driven by subconscious drives or unconscious drives. So like think about when you have those moments where you 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 drove home from work and you get home and you don't even remember the drive home. That just happened to me two nights ago. That is your. That shows you how much of your subconscious mind is in the driver's seat. And so that's why it's important to address these subconscious drives and and use hypnotherapy to tune into it because if it's driving 90 to 95% of our behavior, how powerful is it to not know what's going on there? So we're we're not taught this. Nobody is teaching us this. Definitely not in schools. Um, uh, Nobody told me about this. Not in church. Nobody is... Because most of the world is walking around with only 5% of their conscious mind operating and driving their behavior. You know, that's interesting because then, you know, uh, again, Tesla, who who I've loved since I was a kid, um, he says, spend time alone and be with your thoughts Mm -hmm. and understand these things. That was something that he taught. And uh, he would talk about how he invented the motor by doing just that, Mm -hmm. the the AC motor, be it by um, just being alone with his thoughts and breaking things down and having a journal and stuff so that that's that's what we're talking about yeah because and you you bring up a really great point the subconscious is subconscious right so it means it's underneath it's that quiet piece and that's why in this hypnotherapy you have to slow down you have to get still and then you have to like breathe and you have to allow the subconscious to kind of rise up after you're in a state of rest and if in our everyday world, think about how like chaotic and busy we are and how little we slow down and how little we actually get quiet and still within ourselves. And that's where the subconscious mind, and only there, is where it can really arise and be dealt with in a healthy way. By being quiet. By being still and By being, being quiet. By being still and being quiet, which, again, um, I don't think is highly looked up to because how, you do, how do you produce at that point, like we're in a very high-paced society where it's like you got you got to produce. What are you doing? Uh, you're being lazy. You'll probably be, you know, uh, accused of that and these things. But you're saying that's healthy. Well, think about sleep. If we never slept, how healthy would we be? Yeah, and that and that's one of the things I was on. I hated sleep because mm-hmm. I had to, I had to, I had to be famous. I had to be this. Uh, uh, this rapper had a record label. I wanted to be this thing, so I would f- sacrifice sleep and only like three hours, four hours a night to be able to get my dream. And I'm thinking like, man, this is what you do to get your dream, right? And then everybody else is like, yeah, this is what you do to get your dream. And then I personally hit a wall to where everything crumbled and went away. And I was like, oh, that can happen too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, and w- which woke me up to some of these new things. And the thing I've dabbled in or the thing I practice is meditation. Yes. So... Uh, hypnotherapy, is that a portion of I'm it? I'm glad you bring that up because, um, so hypnosis is basically being in what's called a trance state. 
And we go in and out of trance states all day long. When you daydream, you're actually in a trance state. And a trance state is just a different brainwave frequency. So um, when you daydream, you're in trance state. When you meditate, yes, you're in trance state. And so the induction to get into hypnosis is very similar to basically a guided meditation practice. Okay. And so that's like the, the gateway into it? Yes. So it's being in that calm, relaxed state. And it's putting your brain in a position where it can actually receive different types of, of cues and suggestions if you're being guided through hypnosis. Okay, so you, um, you said you'd have practice or you do uh, or have patients that you worked with. So that, what's the first step? What do you do? In a, in a session? You yeah. Mean? Um, so potentially I would meet with them and we'd be talking just like we are now and I would say, so how are you doing? What's going on? And I would get them to consciously let me know what they want to work on. So the conscious mind would let me know, um, you know, I want to work on, I'm feeling like I'm avoiding things lately. So we would go into it with that. So then I would put them in a hypnotic state through basically going through and helping them relax through use of visualization tools and breathing techniques. And then once they're relaxed, then I would ask them to go to the most recent time that they felt like they were avoiding things. And then they would explain to me that situation. And okay. then they tune into their body, and then we'd start to regress back to previous memories. So there is a portion of the conscious mind that kind of knows that there's something going on. But you don't know why but you don't or know. where it came from. So then you help go to the deeper level in this relaxation. And, you, and you're saying it. Um, earlier we were talking about, so that is stored somewhere in the body? Yes, the body is where we store all of our memories and all of our emotions. And so when we tune into our bodies, then they actually help guide us and help tell us what's going on. I actually had um, a client this morning that I was having a phone session with, and and I asked him to tune into his body about why he couldn't be weak in front of his daughter's. And I, he said he didn't know. He's like, he knows he does it, but he doesn't know why he does it. So we tuned into his body, and he did a scan of his body and found out that he had this, like, knot in his in his heart, um, the feeling of a knot in mm-hmm. his heart. And so I, I told him, I was like, okay, so tune into that and ask it, if it had a voice, what would it say? And it said that I have to be strong because I have to be sad. And it eventually came out that that's where he hides all of the things that upset him or make him feel weak or make him feel like he's not strong. And so if he's weak, then it makes him vulnerable and other people can see all these things that he doesn't show. It goes back to like the whole Marine Corps and my bearing, right? I hide it, I cover it up. So if I'm weak, then it makes me feel vulnerable. And so we were able to work with him and and do some breathing techniques to release that out of his body. And when we were done with the session, I asked him, I was like, how do you feel? And he's like, I feel lighter. You know, I feel like I am just lighter and I don't, I can be happy now because that was actually a protector for him that he had put there years ago, but now he wanted to be happy and it was blocking him from experiencing happiness. So, and did you get into any of that then it, or why it was there as a kid? Like, what was that for? Or is that like be a different session? Um, we got into it a little bit, but I mean, you can go deeper into that if you want to. It wasn't necessary. And that's part of this work too is, is um, if it, if he would have led us there to go deeper, that would have meant that his subconscious needed to go back further. But because he was ready at that point to go ahead and, and release it and let go of it, that's where we stayed. Okay, so you didn't need to go any right. deeper. Okay, yeah. so it was already kind of addressed. Yeah. I did, uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, 
um, the other day, and uh, um, is it, Rob Bell. Are you familiar? I love Rob Bell. I, yeah, I love Rob Bell. I was listening to a podcast, and he was talking about when you name it, when yes. you name this thing, it, it kind of, it, it also, it could lose some of its power. Mm-hmm. Now you're addressing this specific thing, and uh, he actually used the story in the Bible when Jesus went and asked a man that possessed with demons, he, Legion, he's like, you know, it's like now that he knows the name Legion, because Jesus asked, like, what's your name? We mm-hmm. are Legion, for we are many. He was like, that weakened that thing. Yeah. Because when you that, name it, yeah, it disarms it, right? So explain that a little bit, if you can. I think it, the best way I can explain it is it's like, it's like being in a dark room and you're looking for something and all you can do is feel around and you're not really sure what you're touching or what you're feeling. And when we name something or when we like identify an emotion specifically, like this is sadness, then it's like turning the light on and being able to see exactly what you're looking at. Mm. So and then light brings a lot to it because now it's exposed. Exactly. So that kind of, I guess on one level uh, scares me a little bit. Because who wants that to be exposed? Well, isn't that the verse in the Bible? Jesus said that that they um, that the light came into the world, but they hated the light because it it showed them that they were wicked. Yeah, and so that, that's could that be the hindrance of why people don't want to go into this? So here's the thing: is we have our true self, and then we have our wounded egoic self, and the ego is afraid of basically being extinguished. But the, and the ego's job is to protect us. But our true self doesn't have fear. It's not driven by fear. It wants to expand and it wants to have these higher level emotions like love and joy. But the ego is trying to protect itself and it's trying to protect us. So if we come into a realm that our, our ego is there and is strong in to try and do what it thinks is helpful for us to protect us, then it tries to hide sometimes because it's not ready to... I mean, if I don't need it anymore, then it, it fails to exist. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can understand a little bit that. So when I went through my trauma after losing everything, um, I would call my mentor and I said, I'm dying. He's mm-hmm. like, we'll continue to die. He's like, keep dying, you know, and if you need to text me, you know, and as you're, as you're dying in this process. And at first I didn't understand it. Like, what is he talking about? I want these things to live. Yeah. But that was my ego saying, I need these things to live because that's how I manage in this world. But I did notice one thing that w- as soon as I started to let those things go, mm-hmm. something else replaced it. Exactly. Because you create a void, right? And you can either have that void be filled with other defense mechanisms, other needs that are ego-driven, or you can fill that void with love and with light and with good things in this higher self-type dimension of things. And and, um, I think, I don't know if it's maybe explained with the law of attraction, because then those good things started to come Mm -hmm. just on their own volition, like naturally? Well, we attract what we are. Mm Mm-hmm. So So when you move into a higher frequency, you start to attract a higher frequency. Yeah, when you're operating from ego, then you're going to have these interactions that are able to reinforce and re-empower that ego. So like these confrontations or fights or Mm -hmm. self-sabotaging behaviors, you're going to keep attracting that because your ego needs to feel like it has a purpose to exist. But as you you elevate, as you start to shed the ego and, and embrace more of your higher self, then you start to attract more of that into your life. See, one of the things that I brought uh, kind of before God or universe, whatever you want to call it, like I have no, no name, but uh, was like, well, how do I provide for myself? 
how do I how do I make it in this world if if I can't do these things? And now you're asking me to lay those down. And uh, on that journey, I remember just going to like a Starbucks and somebody handed me a hundred dollars for a conversation. Wow. That was like the first thing. And I swear to you, it happened. And he's like, this conversation was valuable. He walked out and I thought it was over, walked back in, gave me a hundred bucks. Wow. And I'm like, what? And then on and on, these things would just happen. And I started walking in this other dimension almost. And I felt like um, there's a show called The Magicians. And there was this land called Fillory in this show. <laughs> if, you have, if anybody's familiar with it, I felt like I was walking in this land called Fillory where things aren't always what they seem. If that, does that make any sense to you? I or? mean, that, that's life. Right? You know, it's all I, an illusion or Maya, as the sages say in the Hinduism tradition and the Buddhist tradition, is like everything's illusion, everything's Maya. Mm-hmm. So we, and as we grow, I think our perception of things shift. These illusions kind of evolve as we evolve. Oh, okay. So that's kind of, and then even how I met you, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I was on one of those um, journeys the whole day, and then it was at night, and then it was just like, you know, so, hey, it's like I feel something's here. Yeah. I, I just felt it. Like, I'm like, I, I need to talk to her. And then, boom, we started talking. Because you start to become more in tune and more sensitive. And it's just like just like um, any skill that you hone in this world, I believe that we can, we can spiritually hone as well. We can spiritually attune ourselves to these higher levels of vibration and frequency. And these gifts that are within us can then become strengthened and can, and can be a gift to the world. Okay, so then the, the one thing that, that I always fight with inside of myself is like, okay, I can understand it on a spiritual level to a degree, but I got to find it back in science. Yeah. You know, I got to put some well, flesh look, on look this. Look at quantum mechanics and mm-hmm. how, like, quantum entanglement, how you can affect one molecule in one place. You can have these two that are together and have, like, built a relationship and then spread them in space and time affect one and the other one reacts as if it's affected as well. I mean, how is that not spiritual? To me, that is, that science and spirituality are like synonymous. So once they um, were able to go a little bit below the surface of the scientific method, and uh, which was uh, Newtonian physics, mm-hmm. you're saying going to quantum physics, they go a little a level deeper and it's like spirituality and science marry each other in that that's how I personally see it. I personally feel like spirituality and science, they're not different. They're just different ways for us to explain the same thing, essentially. Okay. So then, like, um, you know, if I tell somebody I love you and then this other person says, te amo. Si. It, yeah. So it's the same thing. I think so. And I think that, um, you know, language has such a influence over how we see the world. And if we if we use language in a way that's limiting, then then we experience the world in a limited way. But if we're able to be a little bit more open in how we explain concepts that are so difficult to actually put into words, then we can have a more broad and more open experience as well. So if we're if we're stuck in this, like they actually did this study recently, I heard about it, about this African tribe who did not have a word for the color blue. Mm-hmm. So when they did this experiment, they showed them all these different colors and tried to have them pick out the color blue. They couldn't see the color blue because they didn't have a word for it. But then they had like seven different language or words for the color green. So they were able to clearly differentiate between all these different shades of green. So I think that that says a lot about how words influence our ability to perceive the world. 
and the power behind the words and the power behind like what you were saying about the name. So I think that all of these things are connected and we have yet to really become aware of how interconnected all these things are in the world through science, through religion. And I think there will be a time in the future where we start to see an overlap and an interweaving. And we kind of are. We're kind of starting to see we're, that we're now. We're kind of getting there. Yeah. Okay, so then what about the person that's listening to this podcast that maybe wants to um, go into those things, but not on a spiritual level, but they want to they contact you? Are you? Could they feel safe with you? Yeah, because we start with where you're at. Go in where you're at. And... And they are the guide. I mean, where I go is where they lead. I'm just there to help the process. Okay. Because, like I said, my brain always um, goes back and forth because it's like, okay, I get on a spiritual level, but I need to know back in science. So, like, then I did uh, meditation because um, Sherry, who I had on episode, I think, four of the podcast, she explained to me in a very spiritual language. She's a very spiritual woman. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's like, well, I need to know in science. So I started to do research myself. And then I did find out about the beta waves, alpha waves, gamma yep. waves, and these different things. It's like, oh, so I'm just slowing my brain down mm-hmm. from this ADD or ADHD <laughs> brain that I normally have. And I'm able to function on this level because I am controlling my body. Right. Okay, so then that's like, oh, I, I can get it now. I could relax more into this thing because it's not just woo-woo, which I believe in the woo-woo, so don't get me wrong, but it's like I always want to explain something to somebody that doesn't believe in the spiritual, if that, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's like I don't think you have to believe in the spiritual side first. Does that no, make sense? No, you don't. You definitely don't. Okay. No, because so from heart-centered clinical hypnotherapy, it's going to deal with you in a physical way as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a spiritual transformation that takes place. It's, um, and you can do things that actually alleviate pain. We can work with people through hypnosis to take a chronic pain that they have and through the power of their brain, allow them to basically turn down that pain level in their body. Because, I mean, look at the placebo effect. You want to talk about science. The placebo effect shows that our brain has the ability to believe something to the degree that it acts just as good as medication does. So if our mind has the ability to do that and have power over ailments in our body, then, I mean, our body is a magnificent thing. What, what else can it do that maybe we haven't come to fully understand yet? What, what else can it do that we haven't tapped into? Correct. What other heights can we reach? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, okay. So I, I, the, I guess that would, uh, for other people saying, you know, I'm not spiritual, I'm not this. Or, you know, are you familiar with Sam Harris at all? Yes. Okay. You know, he's, he's an atheist. He's a self-proclaimed atheist, but he's a spiritualist. So yeah. he kind of traffics in this area of uh, spirituality, but he doesn't believe there's a God. And then Jordan Peterson would come back and say, well, no, you do believe there's a God. You just don't like to give it a name. So anyway, but um, I kind of, even though he's uh, maybe maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum of me, I enjoy some of his teaching because it's like I can kind of relax into it. I kind of, the one thing I don't like is when people try to give me a name for God. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay. 100%. So for any of my listeners out there, any of the people listening, like I could um, bear witness to that. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to believe in God to to believe that there are other energies that exist within this world mm-hmm. that maybe are not physical, 
you know, flesh and blood or, or hard concrete things that maybe they're just like there's, like you said, there's uh, light waves or x-rays, things that we can't see that we know actually have an influence on us. I mean, you don't have to believe in God to believe that those things exist. Yeah, like I guess the wind. Yeah. Right? And it's like I, I could see the effects of looking out the window over here on the trees, but I can't see the wind itself. So in that vein, is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. So things that influence us, things that affect us internally that don't necessarily have a physical form, or maybe there are even things within us that we just don't have a complete understanding of, like that subconscious mind okay. that drives our behavior. That makes sense. Okay, so let's get back to the hypnotherapy a little bit. So um, what's your ideal situation with um, a patient? What would be, um, is it like a long-term situation or is it like a place to, okay, now you're fixed or <laughs> like, how does that look? Or, or does it look like there's so many different variables? So there are so many different variables and I wouldn't say there's, there's an ideal anything because it's not going into it with a goal or of an outcome. It's more of a process that you as the therapist and you as the patient walk into together being open to, to where the subconscious mind leads you. And I guess if there is any type of um, desired outcome, it would be that you had a healing. So after you have your session, did, did something within you heal? Was there a place in your life that felt like it maybe it was broken or could have been better? And when you leave today, you feel like you're more whole. That would be the outcome that I would say the, would be the most desired. Okay, so then... Um like you were saying with the person that you had the phone call with today, they felt lighter. Yeah. So that's like, a, you're saying not a goal, but it is like a thing that says, okay, something was accomplished here. Are you a more whole, more happy, more self-aware person when you leave than when you entered this room? Then that's a success. Then that, okay. And then that relationship can go on for like, you know, just a few sessions or... or it really depends on your what level of healing you need. I mean, there are some people who have had, I mean, personally, I've gone through a lot of trauma. So every trauma that we go through can have multiple levels of healing that are needed. Or other people that maybe have had a more idyllic life and maybe they just have some issues they want to work on. Maybe some just, like you were saying, those, those levels of resistance that are in the subconscious mind. Maybe you meet with them a couple of times and they can move on. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, uh, we talked about this a little bit, that I did, I guess, on this level was um, the dishes. Yeah. Right? And so, and that might sound funny, but um, growing up, I remember my dad, like, hated that there was dishes in there, mm. but he never did them. He would come home and constantly complain about the dishes and yell at my mom or my sisters, like, do the dishes, but never did them. So I had, like, <laughs> this whole dishes phobia of like when I saw dishes that triggered that in my mind, like, ah, there was emotion attached to the this, dishes. Um, there was this whole emotion. So yeah. I would see it and then I would get mad at my wife. The same mm -hmm. thing. I had this whole process. Well, um, in this, in this process of my life, my wife takes off. I'm stuck mm -hmm. with his dishes to do it myself. And it was like this thing that I would look at like, mm, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh no. But now I'm home by myself. I had to face the dishes. So then what I started to do was, I would do it and I would force myself to smile mm -hmm. and I would say, I love the dishes. I love doing these dishes. And I would, you know, kind of like uh, put on music and then kind of force myself to maybe dance or move and play, like yep. put some rhythm to it. And uh, so, and I did that, uh, I'd, I'd do it like every morning. I'd wake up and that'd be the first thing that I would do after I meditated would go do the dishes. 
And uh, now I like doing the dishes. And you know what's interesting when you say that is that you said that you would dance and you would move your body and emotions and memories are stored within our bodies. And so what you did was, number one, probably release some of that energy that was there. Okay. And then you also created an association of a positive positive association in your body of the movement and the smiling. So you actually you reprogrammed your memory through use of your body and these positive types of beliefs that you were doing while you were engaged in this behavior of washing the dishes. So that's what you mean when your body stores these things. So then yes. I was storing good memories of dishes. So there's this actual this concept in, in, um, in science, since we talked about that, it's called neuroplasticity. And it means that your brain is actually malleable to be programmed with new ways of functioning, new ways of processing. So if you have, you, you think about having a habit that you do habitually it's as if the 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 brain fires in a, a an area so many times that it actually creates like a rut in the brain to where it becomes harder and harder to devi- deviate from that process okay like um grooves on a record exactly on vinyl yes like. so that's why it's so hard to break a bad habit but your brain has the ability to form new habits and you do that through creating these new types of behaviors like you did the positive and then the movement created a new way for your brain to behave instead of always looking at the dishes and hating them now you've associated a positive behavior and outcome and feeling with these dishes that you once hated so is is, is it really um in one sense that easy it's as easy as you make it i suppose so you know when you're ready you can make it easy it could be that easy but you know there's some things washing the dishes maybe has a different level of energy that you put into it as opposed to, let's say, getting over the loss of a parent. You know, some things are just hard, and that's okay, but, you know, smiling and forcing yourself to feel better about losing a loved one is not necessarily as easy as being able to smile and get happy about doing the dishes. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so what do you do about losing a loved one? So in in my form of therapy, we would say to... Um, actually allow yourself to feel those emotions so the emotions of anger and sadness have to be expressed in order to be released and move on from so there are some emotions like jealousy or like um, things like that where if you feel them they actually get worse and stronger and so there's a different technique for getting rid of those but things like sadness and grief and loss if we don't feel those we store that negative energy within our bodies, and a lot of times that will actually turn into a physical ailment. And so that's the association with the feeling, the emotion, and with our body. And you can think of everything from like an ulcer, right? You, you have anxiety so much that you create a physical manifestation of this emotion in your body. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to allow ourselves to feel these things to let them go. So then if you're at a, a funeral or you're you know, a loved one pass away and you say, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. That's unhealthy. You're hurting yourself. Yeah. Okay. So you're supposed to cry. You're supposed to let that out. That's 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 a natural human. Like if you believe in God, God gave us emotions and, and we have emotions for a purpose. So everything here that we feel in our body is a teacher for us. So when we feel these emotions of grief and sadness there's a need for those things to be felt. Okay. Okay. So um, 
I want to touch on a word you taught me earlier. Okay. Psychosomatic. Psychosomatic disorder. And that's that, that's kind of on what you were talking about right now, right? Yes. Where you create something in your body by thinking it? Yes. So the psycho goes with the mind. That's for the first part of the word. And soma is body. So it's a mind-body ailment. And you can have various forms of psychosomatic pain or disorders. So let's say um, if someone is pregnant and you happen to be the male spouse of this person who's pregnant, there's a real condition where you can have what's called sympathy pain. So you can physically feel the same thing that the partner is feeling. That's a psychosomatic type of issue. Or some people who are hypochondriacs can actually get themselves to believe that they have an ailment and start to physically manifest that ailment in their body. I want to give a shout-out to my sister at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Jennifer, if she's listening. But, uh, yeah. Also my dad. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so Love you, pops. You're, you're familiar with it, <laughs> um, so that and that's that's real. That's a real thing. Yes. Um, I had uh, her name Mia on the show, and uh, she has ovarian cancer, mm. and she came to this point where she had to, or she not had to, but she realized that she was almost creating this cancer by her the feelings and she's kind of shoving this resentment down in her body mm-hmm. and constantly trying to be strong for everybody and um and just a bunch of things that she was doing in her mind that she now links to this cancer yeah. are you familiar with that yes and i was going to say there's been a lot of research done and a lot of people tend to believe that uh, there are a lot of disorders like crohn's disease or other things that can be attached to emotions that haven't been properly expressed wow that's that's kind of interesting you brought up crohn's disease hmm. that uh, it's something that hits home um not in my family but my ex-business partner that went through this terrible terrible time and now that kind of makes sense so actually i have a really interesting thing about this whole like somatic stuff there's a there's a a protocol if someone is having physical ailments Uh, that we go through in hypnotherapy to address that. And actually, when I was at my six-day training in New York City several weeks ago, um, I had this issue happen to me. And I, as a little girl, I had eczema, severe, like, dry skin, and it was painful. And I had a reoccurrence of this. Um, And it was because I was dealing with all of this stress and these issues that were coming up. And so when I did the hypnotherapy session, it connected back to a time when I was younger and had these these feelings that were connected to the actual expression of this skin disorder. So we can definitely have these physical ailments that are actually trying to tell us something about what's going on spiritually or in our subconscious realm. So the spiritual manifests in the physical. A hundred percent. 100%. So even if you don't want to believe in it, you're not getting away from it. I mean, if I'm sure you've heard it before. We are spiritual beings in a physical body, Mm -hmm. more so than we are physical. And so if, if you discount the spiritual influence, then you're not really fully experiencing life in, in, in my perspective. Mm -hmm. So then you said uh, that's something you dealt with the eczema. So then, you, it started to come back, this dry skin? It came back, yeah. When I was actually doing this, all of this uh, work, this inner work, it came back. It, oh, so it's like you almost dug it up? Yes, exactly. Oh, 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 I right. stirred it up somehow, and okay. I wasn't even sure how I, how I was stirring it up. And I talked to my teacher about it, and she's like, that's good. I was like, what do you that's mean good. that's good? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm having my face. <laughs> it's having all of these issues. She's like, 
it's letting you know that it's ready to be dealt with. It's giving you it's a surfacing. starting point. Yeah. Because that's how we start our work is when was the most recent time that you had this issue? She's mm-hmm. like, it, your body is giving you a point to start from. Wow. So we really got to pay attention to our bodies. We do. And that was one of the things that was so transformational for me when I started this as the client was that she really taught me that it was not only safe to pay attention to my body, but that's where the wisdom is. That's where the lesson is. That's where the voice is, is that when we learn to tune tune into our bodies, then we become actually more self-aware and we're able to, to feel again. And I had actually stopped feeling in the Mm. world. So I was able to, to relearn how to feel and engage in this world. See, again, when when you bring that up, it triggers my old religious Mm. background of like, no, you don't trust your body. You don't go inside. You go outside to to God or whatever, how they would put it. So, um, but you're saying there's a wealth of knowledge inside. I truly believe that everything that we need to know, if we tune in, our body will tell us. Okay. So then um, a little thing, a little bit, uh, we talked about you treat people on a holistic level. Yes. Body, mind, spirit, soul, whatever you want to call yes. it. That's, that's your process. Mm-hmm. Break that down for me a little bit. So we, I think, especially in the Western world, we compartmentalize our wellness. We go to the optometrist for our eyes. We go to the, the orthopedic guy for our bones. We go to whoever for whatever, as opposed to seeing ourselves as this like beautifully orchestrated, holistic person that has all these different components that work together. So we have our mental health. We have our physical health. We have our nutritional health. We have our spiritual health. And if we just address one area, so um, such as like psychotherapy, if we're just dealing with the mental component, but we're not thinking about the physical influence and how what we eat affects how we feel and our emotional influence and our spiritual health, then we're not a, we're basically putting another Band-Aid on an issue as opposed to dealing with the root cause and dealing with us as a holistic organism. So if you go to the root of the, 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 the situation that you deal with the whole. Correct. You know, um, my mentor, um, he has a church. It's a very unique type of church. And he doesn't do any topical preaching, mm-hmm. if that makes sense to you. It's uh, very root-orientated, mm-hmm. and it frustrates people. It's a, it's, if you're not ready for it, you hate it. Like you're, we, we just did a podcast the other day, and uh, people were able to... It was Facebook Live, actually, and people were able to ask questions. And he never answers their question on mm-hmm. this, like, okay, here, take this prescription, and then call me in seven days or whatever. You know, it's like... He always goes to the root, and yeah. it, you could just see the frustration of a lot of people. And it's like, no, I, I need to know. So you're saying those things are band aids. I'm saying if you just address one area, primarily it's going to be a symptom that you're addressing, as opposed to the root cause. And it's only when you address the root cause can you actually heal the overall outcome. Mm. So then, uh, like I'm thinking, when when you mention that, I think of uh, prescriptions mm-hmm. that deal with symptoms, right? You know, I, I remember the first time I looked at a n- bottle of NyQuil, and uh, I was taking it since I was a kid, but then I was like, oh, this just this isn't going to make me healthier. This is just dealing with the symptoms. It takes away right. the, maybe the sneezing for a while, the this, but it's not actually doing anything to make me healthier. Right. So now, like, 
Um, I get sick or whatever, and I try to do it naturally, or I mean, throughout the week, you know, I get uh, kombucha and like some greens and like, you know, juicing and stuff like that. And I noticed my time of being sick is a lot shorter. Yeah. Okay. Something you said really like resonated with me about being healthier and about how you can take a medication and it's not going to make you healthier. Health is by nature holistic, right? Health is a form, uh, a state of being in homeostasis of everything operating as it should. All of these different multiple levels of of influence acting together harmoniously. That's what health is. So if we're just addressing a pain, if we're just trying to minimize a pain or a symptom, that doesn't equal health. But getting at the root of something and making sure everything is in alignment together and working together as it should, that's health. So you're saying like you go to a doctor, I got a backache, you know, but this, I have this back pain. And, um, and the doctor, you know, he went to school, he studied whatever about the back, and he's going to do the best he can by giving you this prescription or something, but that's just a Band-Aid. Yeah. Well, because what if the reason for your back pain, and, and I can say this as being like a personal trainer and, and knowing about body dynamics, what if the reason for your back pain is because your posture is off, which has to do with maybe your your leg muscles not being strong or your abdomen muscles being weak. And so we're just we're dealing with this small area without scanning the whole rest of the system to figure out how it's working or not working together to actually fix the issue as opposed to just like band-aid approach if you're telling me that i got to do leg day at the gym <laughs> that's not happening no that's the worst leg day's my favorite oh is it <laughs> yeah oh, so, i that, love working legs you, did you train yourself to get into that or is that natural yes actually so it was that same kind of thing that you do with the dishes because legs hurt right yeah. legs are oh, oh man goodness. and you can't walk the next oh, day oh my goodness so i could do that with leg. i'm gonna do that <laughs> I, when i get back to yuma shout out to fourth avenue gym over there yeah. justin i'm gonna do leg day for now yeah and smile while you and do those leg extensions and when you're squatting you know give a you know not while you're squatting but after do a little happy dance I like, do like you do a little shake dishes. yeah a little shake and that, okay then i'm gonna i'm gonna try that create That's, a new neural pathway in your brain wow i'm gonna get strong legs for the first time in my life awesome. I, oh my goodness leg day <laughs> oh my cousin he's like how oh, you got to work out your legs and stuff i was like no i don't actually i'm not going to but then um yeah because posture okay so yeah. I, that, that's something i deal with and and core so i'm glad you brought that up so then you, you're kind of um tracking this down following this thread again to like okay why is this there right you know not just okay you have back pain so here's some oxycodone or whatever and then now or whatever and that it now come back to me when you need a bigger dosage because like what is our goal is our goal to be a little bit less in pain for a short period of time, or is our goal to learn how to be optimally healthy for the rest of our life? And that would that would be something you'd have to ask your patients, right? Right. What's their goal? What's their goal? You know, maybe people are just looking for a temporary relief, and then how do you, how do you deal with that? You just got to be okay with it, huh? Well, I believe that everyone is on their journey, and here's here's part of it too is. Um, I can't be codependent about it. I can't try and rescue them before they're ready because then they'll only resent me. Um, they have to, when people are ready, then the universe will open to them and provide them opportunities to excel and to move forward. If they're just ready for the Band-Aid approach fix, 
that's where they are in their path. And that's okay. I have to let them do that because maybe that is essential for them to get to the next step. And if I interfere and if I don't let them process, I'm taking that away from them. Mm. I'm actually harming them. So that's like the only cards they have. And you're trying to snatch the cards they have, the deck they've been playing with, even though maybe it's a Uno deck and a Go Fish (laughs) deck and, you know, but it's their cards. Yeah. We all have our process. We all have things that we have to go through. I know looking back on my life, I went through a lot of difficult situations. And in the moment, it felt unfair. And it felt like I had no idea what I had done to deserve it. But looking back on it, I realized that it made me who I am today. It gave me the tools. It taught me the lessons. It prepared me. It made me the person I am today. So I look back at it with gratitude. So you have that. There goes that gratitude. Yeah. Um, so break down uh, codependency for me. So codependency is at the root of every type of addiction, and it's at the root of a lot of relational dysfunctional behaviors. So codependency operates on a triangle, if you will, and there are three points to this triangle. You have three different roles that when you're in this codependent relationship, you move through. So there's the victim, there's the persecutor, and there's the rescuer. And so, for example, um, we were talking about an alcoholic family dynamic. The alcoholic would actually be the, the victim in the situation, and some other family member would learn to play the role of the rescuer to this alcoholic. So they would be the one that maybe covers up for them or takes care of them when they're after they've had like a binge drinking Um, And then because the victim doesn't like to be taken care of, then they'll become the persecutor of the rescuer. So then the rescuer becomes actually the victim. And so it operates in this whole dysfunctional dynamic that's ever moving and evolving. But what it does is it creates a toxic relational environment. And a lot of us who had trauma growing up had these codependent relationships. It doesn't have to be a, a substance abuse. It could just be a perfectionistic parent who demanded perfection mm. at, for that athlete to do whatever it was. So you're in this dysfunctional codependent relationship. And then when you become an adult in the world, you start to notice that all of your romantic partners, you have this whole like dysfunctional it, it plays dynamic. Again. Yeah. It comes into play and then you're, you're a woman saying there's no good men out there. Right. Because you have to always be the victim or you find yourself always in that persecutor role or like I, I found myself as the rescuer. I always needed to rescue someone. Right. You know, and I, I you know, I work with men on, on this and I see a lot of the rescuers and these men and mm. I'm like, what are you doing with that girl in your life? Get what? I mean, come on. And it's, growing up in hip-hop, you call him Captain Save-A-Ho, but <laughs> <laughs> shout-out to E-40. But um, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, oh, she just needs to be loved right. Mm. She just needs this, and I'm going to do it for her. It's like, dude, you don't even have your life together. What are you doing? And I just had it with a guy yesterday. He gave me a phone call, and it's like, yeah, I was in jail, and... You know, she didn't even want to bail me out. She actually took the money and, like, she left the house. And I'm like, yeah, I, wow. I told you not to have these people around yeah. you. But so then he but he wanted a rescue. Like, oh, she needs help. Yeah. You know, like, I gave her a place to stay for free. And it's like, so there, so he's on that part of the triangle as yeah. a rescuer. And most of us don't even realize that we're codependent 
until we start this process of trying to um, become more self-aware or get into some type of alternative therapeutic practice. And this is told to us that there's this thing called codependency and a codependent relationship. I didn't know I was codependent until my therapist told told mm-hmm. me that I might be. And then once we're once we are aware and we've named it, then we're able to actually address it because on a subconscious level, we're actually trying to heal ourselves. But the subconscious mind, I mentioned, can be very immature. So it doesn't always go about it in the wisest of ways. So what we do is we have this wound from childhood, this codependent wound. So we keep reproducing situations for us to learn how to heal from it. Gotcha. So the universe keeps providing us opportunities to address this. But w- until we become aware, it's lost on us. So, and, and in particular with this guy, so he was a rescuer, and then now he just became a victim of yeah. this thing because this girl just took off and didn't bail him out. It had to get his daughter to come and help him bail out of jail. And um, it was a situation. He was going actually doing uh, um, some work. He faced an old uh, warrant. So I was very mm-hmm. proud of him. Like he was going to face this thing. I was like three years old, and he was moving forward in his life and uh, doing the right thing that facing it. But uh, the person that he had in his life at the time, this female, was just like, he gets, he's like, hey, um, they said if you pay the fine right now, we'll let you go. Hmm. And so he's like, here's my debit card. Here's this. Go get the money. And she just took the money and partied and, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so now he's a victim. So, yep. so now in the, he's still in the cycle, mm-hmm. you're saying, until he recognizes the cycle that he's able to break it out of it right. by naming it. Yeah, until we heal from it, we're going to keep creating these dysfunctional dynamics in all of our relationships. Even in your work relation, like your working environment, you can create, you can go into a work environment that replicates this codependent dynamic. Mm-hmm. And we just will keep creating this for ourselves until we heal from it. And there's actually a great book. It's called Breaking Free from the Victim Trap that talks about this triangulation of these victim, rescuer, and persecutor roles okay. and, and how it plays out in our lives. Awesome. So we're going to be wrapping up here now. And uh, is there any other good books that you could recommend? Um, well, Carl Jung talks about the the subconscious mind a lot so i'd recommend anything by him and then there are some if you want to go to wellness-institute.org that's the basis for the heart-centered clinical hypnotherapy and there's resources there that people could tap into okay but uh, a lot of young uh, yeah and dreams dreams and that that how that interacts with the subconscious mind is is really wild now we got to do another podcast episode yeah definitely so are you into that i am okay we can't talk about it now that's another episode <laughs> We'll go too long, but okay. Um, yeah, that uh, maybe part two there. Um, okay, so um, and I always end it with uh, where do you want to end up? So you're you're starting your practice, or yes. you're, you're getting your feet wet right now. Mm-hmm. So where would you like to end up? So I've had a vision for years, and I feel like it's finally coming together. I have a vision of having a holistic wellness business that incorporates the things that I've done throughout my life: the personal training for the fitness and the body health. Um, the psychological component from the mental health experience that I've had, the heart-centered clinical hypnotherapy, which addresses the soul and the spirit and that component, and then the IO psychology, which addresses the whole practical business coaching. So having like this holistic wellness business that I'm able to help advise people on their whole health. Can I submit my resume? Sure. All right. Cool. <laughs> I'm going to have a place to work in a few. You need, you need to get on it. I know. Um, you, need, you need to make that happen. The universe will provide. Yeah. You know, um, what was it about? 
a year ago, I took a picture of a wellness center mm. in Phoenix, and I'm like, I want this. So I have it on my phone. I just, wow. yeah, yeah. So I, I have the same vision. That's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I had no idea about that with you, but. Uh, we should yeah. talk more about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm dead serious. You could ask uh, Sherry, who's out, who was my meditation teacher. It's like, we got to do this. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so cool. So that's where you'd like to end up. Yes. It's having this to bring healing and life. And so I want to say one last thing before we wrap up. Uh, a saying that I heard when I started going through this training was, as we heal, the world heals. So as the individual heals holistically, we can help heal the world. And you can't give what you don't have, That's right? That's right. You got And it all starts from within us. And then, and then that goes back to, I got to bring up my religious upbringing. You know, the people tell me, you got to love yourself. Mm. And then there's a scripture that says the lovers of self or something. And the end times, men will be lovers of themselves. And yeah. that was like a dangerous word. Like, don't love yourself. Mm. Don't love yourself. You can't love anyone else until you truly love yourself. I believe that now. Yeah. I, I really believe that now in a nice, healthy way. In a healthy way, absolutely. Yeah, that, uh, you really got to love yourself because then now I'm able to love the people around me because I know what it is to love me. Right. So uh, thank you very much. Um, thank you. How would people get a hold of you best? Um, so the best way to get in touch with me would be um, through Instagram, and it's at amare underscore Ica the beautiful. Um, or I am America Personal Training at gmail.com would be a good way for them to get in touch with me, or they can reach out to me on my cell phone. I don't know if you'll provide that later. It's up to you. You could say it if sure. you want okay. to. Sure, okay. If you guys want to like reach out and text or call me, it's 903 701 6710, and it's Leia, like the princess. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Leia. I appreciate this. Uh, and uh, you, you not saying no to this opportunity that I we know. have in lovely San Diego. Um, I, let's go to the beach or something. What are we doing in a hotel room? <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much. And um, I appreciate you. And this episode should be up shortly. With gratitude. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Until next time. Bye.